The University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. Thank you, Dr. Jamal Myrick, for being here with us. Dr. Jamal Myrick is our director of the African Student Programs, which is our Black Student Resource Center here at UCR. And so we're going to talk to a few things about Dr. Jamal Myrick. We're going to get some of his background, some of his upbringing that's kind of influenced things throughout his life. And then we're also going to kind of dive into what exactly he does as the director of African Student Programs. Um, And we're going to share with you guys what we have to offer for the black experience here at UCR. So, Dr. Jamal Myrick, thank you for joining us. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. Um, It's a busy Friday. Um, I don't know why it's busy. Normally it's not. Um, But it's been been a really good week. Um, So I'm feeling good. Just got out of another session where we brought together all, not all, but a lot of black professionals in higher education Um, in the state of California. And so we hold, myself and a few of my other colleagues throughout the state, we host um, like monthly, now monthly, like uh, healing spaces for Black folks um, who work in higher education in the state of California. So it it was good. This was our second one and uh, had some really good conversation before I had to transition to make sure I make this meeting. So For sure. Well, Thank you for being here. Um, and with that being said, let's just go ahead and get started. So let's just start out. Who are you? Um, where are you from? Kind of give us an idea of some of your background, your family history. Um, and if you can, just tie in how you kind of felt or not fell into, but how you kind of walked into your blackness. Um, so can you go ahead and kind of paint that picture for our students, please? Yeah. So um I hail from the great states of Florida, um, Jacksonville, Florida, to be exact, Duval County, 904, uh, the Bangham and the Hangar is what we call it back home, um, but we can just call it Jacksonville, Florida for this moment. Um, I, before that, I was actually born in New Brunswick, New Jersey, aka Exit 9, aka New Gunswick. Um, so those monikers can tell you just a little bit about the areas that I grew up in, um, while right. living in New Jersey and going back and forth between New Jersey and Florida. Um, I lived with my grandparents uh, for a majority of my time in New Jersey and in Florida, I lived with my, my mom and my siblings, um, in New Jersey, I was the block kid, if you will. So what does that mean? So everybody knew my family in New Jersey, in New Brunswick. So everybody knew um, who my family was, my cousins, um, my grandparents. Um, they knew who my cousins did dirt. They knew my grandparents was all about the community, super heavy in church. Um, they came from the South. Um, my grandfather, I found out a few years ago that he was actually, um, he actually left. Um, school. So he left school with a third, either a third, fifth grade education, excuse me, fifth grade education um, to go work in the fields. All right. And so that's in, in deep South Georgia. Um, my grandmother didn't, didn't have too much formal education. And so 
Um, they moved, they met in New Jersey, both were married prior, met in New Jersey, and the rest is history. And so when you think about me, that's what I come from. So first generation college student through and through. Um, my time in New Jersey was very pivotal when you talk about how did I first come into my blackness? I feel like that's all that I've been around uh, for a majority of my life. Um, my grandparents, like I said, my family, everybody knew us. And so very early on, my grandparents taught me about a community and supporting and uplifting each other as black folks. Um, so it was nothing for me to go next door to Frank's house, Mr. Frank's house, and make sure that he was okay just to like check in or go around the corner and deliver the newspapers to my grandparents' um, friends or, like, walk down the street to Mrs. B Mr. Bynes' house and, like, check in on his family and make sure that they're okay. And everybody knew that you don't, that we're all here for each other. And that was kind of the community that I grew up in. Like, a majority of the people on my block were Black, um, and we all supported each other. So it wasn't, like, how it is now where you kind of had to really be concerned about like who is who we all knew each other and we all made sure that we looked out for each other um as a community like that was our that was that was my first real experience engaging in, in my blackness and they would reiterate the importance of like being with your community and supporting and uplifting your community at any and all times fast forward to my uh, move into me to Florida, to Jacksonville, 45th and Montfree specifically, um, the experience was a little bit different. Um, we had community, but it was community by, by force, if you will. And so what does that mean? To me, that means we, we grew up in the hood. And so the community was aware of each other and we knew who was who and we protected each other, but we were in the low income community and so opportunities wasn't really coming around to our area um i grew up in a food desert so that meant that there wasn't a lot of healthy options um we had what i think out here is called the swap meet and back home it was considered the flea market and so mm -hmm. people would be hustling out there we had gunshots we had drugs like all of that was a pretty big part of my experience of um, growing up um in Florida, um, and I would say down in Florida, I mean, race was always a part of my experience. I went to, I transferred um, middle schools, and so my middle school, I went to at an eighth grade, predominantly black, but even then you can see that race even matters. Um, so predominantly black, but we were like the, the worst school, the worst middle school, or at least one of the worst middle schools in, in the city. And especially on my side of town, we were the worst. Um, and so you have that and you, you have that and you have people who don't believe in a lot of opportunities. I remember getting, not, I wasn't bullied, but picked on sometimes by my friends about reading. Right, like that—that's kind of where where it was. It's like, oh, you, black people don't read, or oh, you, you're talking white, or um, like, oh, you like reading? That's so white. And I'm like, how's that so white? Like that, I like reading. That's not bad. Um, and so that that was kind of like some of the earlier experiences that I had around 
race when I have moved to Florida. But like I shared a little bit earlier, it's always been a part of my experience growing up because that that's how that's how we how was raised um, is to have love for your community, have love for your blackness, and have love for for self first and foremost. Right. So definitely, it seems like your black experience was definitely centered around aspects of community, maintaining community, building community. Um, And I think that's very, very important for black people as a whole. I think that's something that a lot of black people are kind of, for the most part, conscious of, like how important community is. But when we kind of get into what makes a successful community and how we maintain those successful communities, things can get a lot more complicated, as you kind of described, even in your sense, when you transitioned back to Florida, you know, you had to deal with kind of aspects of self-hate, if you will, right? Being judged because you like reading, you know? Um, And I think that's a big, big struggle that, you know, our communities face. So if you could, can you kind of like take us a little bit forward for um, into your educational journey? What was your experience like in high school? Um, and then from that point, can you spring us forward in how you kind of got involved in higher education? Yeah, so um, my high school, I actually went to a magnet school, which I think is different than what magnet means out here. So yeah. magnet school in Florida means like you're, you're going to like a pretty pretty good school, but also you're learning some type of skill. So uh, which you learn a skill that's going to get you into like your respective career field. Um, so I went to a magnet school focused on like communications was my focus area. Um, my time in, in high school was good. Um, I think where I had the most issues was probably when I went got into 11th grade and I had a, a white teacher who, needless to say, her and I like had issues. And I mean, rest her soul now, but she made my life a living hell and I made hers a living hell. Uh, so when we talk about race, I, I think about her in my education because she was one of the first like white teachers that I felt explicitly targeted me because of who I was and because of who I who who I showed up and showed up to be. And so what I mean by that is, um, I mean, I was an honor student. I was, I was doing AP classes, um, and I and I was I had pretty much straight A's, or I was on AB honor roll for a majority of my time in high school. Until I got to her class specifically, which was AP, I think English or literature. And we would go back and forth because I felt that she was always disrespectful to me. Mm. Um, I remember getting the the police called on me or like campus security called multiple times. Wow. But always in her class, nobody else's class. and. The thankfully, I had a relationship with campus police and the campus safe campus security, and they knew me. And they're like, "Why is it always you in this one class?" And I'm right. like, "I don't know." Um, and so the good thing is, I had that track record. And what I mean by like her and I would literally butt heads is she would say something disrespectful mm. in front of people to me. And I would go off on her. Like, you're not going to talk to me like that. Stop disrespecting me. You're only saying that because I'm black. And and it was, to me, that was true. Um, right. There was only two black people in our class, myself and another young black man. 
um, who we're still friends to this day. Um, and so he, he also would like confirm years later, like, no, she really had it out for you. Fast right. forward to my senior year. Again, I am like, I'm a good student. I think I had a 3.8, right. 3.7 GPA. Um, I'm passing classes. I'm doing well on the state exams. Um, but it was always her class and I'll never forget. She was like, you're not going to graduate. If it's my duty, I will make sure you do not graduate and out with this class. You're not graduating. Um, F, D, I think I had got another F. Like, that was the first time I ever got an F in any class. Um, And she made it a point to try so hard. And clearly, she didn't win, right? Right. Um, Because I I continued to fight her and I would go to the principal because I had, again, this is where social capital comes in because Mm. my principal knew who I was and I had a relationship with school administration. I had relationships with other um, teachers. I pulled them all together and they helped supported me through all of this. Um, And what really like crystallized it for me in terms of my relationship with this, this white woman is I'll never forget um, when I got when I found out I got accepted into Florida State University. Um, there was two. There were two other people that got accepted into Florida State. Two other people that identify as white and white man, white white woman. And when they shared that news in front of the class, it was like, oh my gosh, congratulations! Like so proud of y'all. Whoop de woo. Probably like a week or two later, I shared that I got into the same university, no pomp, no circumstance. And so I made it a point since then that I'm I'm going to make sure I'm going to shit in her face. Like, I'm going to make sure that you are, I know my language, I'm going to make sure that I prove her wrong. Um, right. So went to now we can transition into me going to Florida State University. So like I mentioned a little bit earlier, first generation college student. Um, I went to Florida State, honestly, because um, I got accepted into a first generation college program called CARE, um, which is still around to this day. A lot of um, black scholars that went through Florida State went through that program. And I'm happy to be in so, so company because a lot of us have gone on to do some pretty amazing things. Um, But interestingly enough, like going to FSU or going to college just wasn't my, that wasn't in my purview when I was graduating from high school. Um, You ask 17 year old Jamal, um, you know, what would he, what was he going to be doing? Like my goal was really to, in high school was to work at this grocery store that I had by the time I graduated, I worked there for three years and um, eventually run this store like that. That was my goal. Um, you know, I was making five twenty five at that time, and I was putting in a lot of hours. And so I was essentially getting groomed to like move up in the company, in the grocery store. Um, and so that was my goal. And it wasn't until a black woman. Um, my my history teacher was like, no, you need to go to college. Like, right. you're going to do something. You're not about to just stay here in the city. Um, and she made sure, first 20 minutes of every day, make sure that I go and um, research colleges, research programs. I, I skipped school one day to go to Florida State. And it's funny because not too many people know that. 
Um, then I skipped school by myself. I drove two and two and a half, three hours to the school, to the campus. I didn't do an orientation wow. tour because I didn't want anybody to influence my decision. I wanted to go to the campus and feel it out for myself. And right. fast forward, um, I, I called FSU every single day, Office of Admissions, every single day. Um, I submitted my application at 457 on March 17th um, of that year. I submitted it and the deadline was that day and um, the deadline was at five o'clock and I called them every day, almost every single day ever since then to see if I got accepted. Cause again, I'm a first year college student. Nobody, I don't know who, I don't know how this works. And all I know right. is if I'm doing something, I'm going to go 150 <laughs> got accepted, cried, cried. I yelled in, in my classroom um, and yeah, I, I got accepted. I went Father's Day of that year. That was my first day of school. Or I moved there that weekend of Father's Day. My first day of school was, I think, June 20th. And um, I loved my college experience. I think um, I, I failed a lot yeah. academically, socially, because yeah. I just didn't know. I didn't have the, the, the knowledge um, the classes, like the, the pre-classes that we would try to do, like I, I didn't pay attention, right? right? Like I didn't, I didn't know. I thought it was going to be like high school because I could, yeah. again, I was working in high school. So I, I would finish school at maybe like three o'clock. I'd go to work at four and I'd be at work from like four to 1130. And then I, I would do homework like a few hours before, right? And so I tried to use that same model going into college and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I struggled a lot academically. Um, I struggled because I had a lot of personal stuff going on. So I think that fall semester, um, like my family was going through a lot. Um, my, my brother, I got a phone call at like 4.30 in the morning that my brother was found in the, in the pool. And so mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? And I'm, I don't have no money to go down there. Thankfully, he survived, um, and thankfully, he was okay, Um, but it was, like, things just kept happening in my personal life that distracted me um, from from my studies, and then, you know, again, I'm a black kid coming from the hood. I come into money with my financial aid check, and I'm focused on having a good time, and I'm focused on all of the 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 fun stuff and I'm not focused on on school and so like I said all that to say I struggled a lot um at least in the first like two two and a half years two years my first year and second year of college and I withdrew from from college eventually um for a semester to like kind of get my head right because some more like I had close family members die um and it really like it was almost like a shot to the heart um, so I withdrew. I wasn't coming back. Um, but I think that when when you think about college, that's why I'm, I'm a big proponent of like getting engaged and getting involved because the only right. two reasons I got, I came back or I went back to Florida State was my best friend who told me back home because I ended up living with him back in Jacksonville. He was like, you can't, you can't quit. Like it's too many right. people who invested in you. And right. your family members that died, they wouldn't want to see you just quit. And right. then a, a student organization 
that um, that I joined my first semester uh, called Progressive Black Men Incorporated, um, brothers were calling me and telling me, come back. Wow. You have to come back. Um, to the point where they threatened to like drive out the three and a half hours to bring me back. And so wow. when I think about my collegiate experience and even now that's why I'm big on like your circle really has to be for you and your circle has to really be, be, be present and be engaged. And I can genuinely say like, that's the only reason why I finished college Wow, is because these men made it their duty to make sure that I came back. Um, yeah. And I did, and I came back with a renewed sense of self, a renewed purpose, and um, I got internships that I shouldn't have been getting. I had all kind, like I was traveling. I'm going to Mexico, like stuff that I should not have been doing at that age, right? Like right. stuff that my parents haven't done, stuff that adults twice my age wasn't even doing. I was doing it at. 19, 20 years old. And um, I ended up finishing college. I mean, I I switched my majors a few times, Um, but I I finished. I finished the semester late because I took a semester off. Um, And I look back on that time and I I cherish that time because not only did I have a renewed sense of self and renewed sense of purpose, but my blackness was affirmed in a lot of different ways. Like I might, I think I shared it before. I don't remember like white people being a huge part of my FSU experience, even though FSU is predominantly white. I don't remember a lot of white people. Um, And a lot of those people that I connected with all those years ago, we're still connected to this day and we still surround each other in love if and when necessary. So if I ever have to go to Florida, if I, anywhere for that matter, if I, if people know that I'm going somewhere, if I like last a few years ago I went to Spain, I have alumni out in Spain that I can reach out to, and they're black and they're going to show love. Alumni in China, I, they'll go out there. I'll go out there. They'll show love with no no problem. And so like I love my my experience at FSU um, because of the community that I was able to build, and and of course the education was dope. But I I would say the community that I was able to build at Florida State was it was bar none. Um, I joined multiple student orgs, mainly black black organizations. But now that I reflect on it, I'm like, wow. And sorry to interrupt you, but word on the street is you have you are part of the first black fraternity. Can you elaborate on that aspect a little bit in terms of black organizations that you were a part of in your career throughout higher ed or your educational journey, I should say? Um, So, um, yes. So in undergrad, I joined Progressive Black Men Incorporated, Black Female Development Circle. Um, I was a part of Peace Jam, which uh, was, again, like an activist type of organization. Um, And then I joined Leadership to develop my leadership skills. I actually didn't have GPA, right? So I actually, so for full transparency, um, I at one point, I think I was at a 2.0 or 2.1 GPA. So as far as like a lot of Greek opportunities, it was no for me, Nolan Boyd. Graduated with a 2.49 GPA um, and then graduated, moved to Washington, D.C., 
I was involved in Toastmasters um, in Washington, D.C., and doing Big Brothers, Big Sisters, which I started doing back in sixth grade um, when I was a, a little brother. And so um, as far as Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated goes, I actually became a earned my membership, earned my brotherhood um, last fall, so November 9, 2019, at 9.20 p.m. And so um, that was that was there. It's been there. It's just timing. Timing is always important. And so um, I had opportunities in the past, but the timing just wasn't right. Um, when, I, when I had the opportunity last year, there was no excuse anymore. It's like, let's make this happen. And so right. because of this illustrious fraternity, if you will, um, I, when I think about the history of the fraternity, a lot of it is black history. A lot of it is so connected into the ideals of what does it mean to be black. And I, I love my fraternity so much more now um, because now now you have like, so you're, you're behind the scenes and you know about what's happening you know so much history and so i'm passionate about my fraternity and we've been able to do so much my my chapter we've been able to do so much locally um even during this time of COVID 19 where we're having sessions about your finance like trying to come out of this pandemic financially secure how to get ready to purchase a home in the home buying process after this process how to make process after this pandemic um, we partnered with the local NAACP chapter to do like a week of action that focuses on not just sitting in the moment and and just doing the protest. Outside of the protest, what are the other things that you can do? What are the other things that can be done uh, to continue advocating for your community and still being engaged both politically and socially for the betterment of the black community here in the Inland Empire? And so I'm proud of my chapter. I'm proud of my fraternity for how we've been able to make our presence known here in the right. local community, regionally right. and nationally, which has been been great to see, as well as with a lot of the other Divine Nine organizations that have been showing up and making their voices heard and making their impact felt um, during this time of a pandemic, two pandemics, um, anti-Blackness and the COVID-19. Absolutely. And so, and I think your story is just on even on the surface level is just great inspiration for students. Um, me, myself, when I got into undergrad, I hit academic probation three times. I had to sit in front of a board meeting, in front of provosts, in front of faculty members and advisors and essentially tell them why I think I deserve another chance to to finish my degree. Um, and I think the light bulb moment for me was that I've been trying so hard to do everything by myself in my undergrad that I realized I wasn't taking responsibility for the help that I wasn't receiving. So with that context, like let's move forward into what you do with ASP and tie it all into UCR now. So how do you incorporate this concept of village business into our black scholars at UCR? And how is ASP trying to make sure that they are on the forefront of helping students understand how important it is to um, be centrally focused on aspects of community, especially as it pertains to black students. Can you tie all that in for us, uh, what you're doing at UCR and ASP? I'm trying to think where to start. So I think a good place to start for context 
um, will start on February 14th, 1954. Um, so if you didn't know, that's the first class of UC Riverside. So it was 127 folks there. And Martha Berkeley was actually the very first African-American undergraduate student here at UCR. Uh, fast forward four years later, I think it's spring, it's spring 1958, um, Roy Overstreet was the first black male to graduate from UCR. And then a year wow. later, um, spring 1959, Zelma Ballard was actually the first black female to graduate from UCR. And so when we talk about village business, it's ingrained in, in this campus um, in a way that I don't think is always fully recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when I hear stats like that, if you will, or history like that, sure. I'm empowered. Um, if you fast forward to January 1968, that's when um, the first Black, Black Student Union was actually chartered, if you will, here at UCR um, with 60 scholars, right? And so from 1968 on, um, it's always been village business, Mm. Right. It's always been village business. Um, it's it's again, it's ingrained in who we are as as a collective. And so you want to fast forward to I believe it's November 1969. Um, the BSU actually had protested because of a fraternity here on the campus was actually being disrespectful to one to the black, the first black homecoming queen and Renee Dawson. And that's wow. in November 1969. And so, again, village business, like they came together to make sure that they not only called out the bull that was mm. happening against this black woman, but also to show up and support this black woman. Right. Right. Um, fast forward again to um, the agreed date is 1972 um, is when the the black it was considered the, the UCR Black House. And so that was March 1972. So the UCR Black House was burned down. Wow. Nobody knows what happened. But yeah. I think you can you can kind of infer if you look at the Highlander, I, I think it's the April April 1972 edition of the Highlander where they actually talk about the Black House and the arson that took place. And so mm-hmm. you have a steep history of ASP early aughts or early the early examples of ASP like coming together and so um, again we're in March 1972 so the agreed year at least of the conception of ASP African Student Programs as a department is in 1972 and it's believed to be like right after the the burning down of the Black House and so wow. you have all of this history happening and you have village business and it it goes so much further and i I don't want to continue on giving like a black history lesson but i think it's important like you look at the 70s the history of of ucr during the 70s and the black scholar experience you have these lecturers coming in you have nikki giovanni you have the 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 sororities being chartered so delta sigma theta is chartered um Well, the Mu Chi chapter of Delta Sigma Theta, let me correct myself. The Kappa Theta chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated is also chartered on the campus. Um, you have one of the first representatives in Congress from the West Coast, specifically 
um, and Yvonne Burke, who um, like she came and she she participated in the Black History Week um, programs that that was happening then. Um, Coretta Scott King came to came to campus 1978. And so when you talk about village business, I have to make sure that we we honor and acknowledge the history that came before us. How are we doing that to this day? So that's almost 48 years ago, two years ago. Um, and how to me it comes up in a lot of different ways. Um, for us as African student programs, it goes way beyond just programming and creating a sense of belonging for, for our scholars. It goes to advocating, right? And so I think about for right now, during this period of COVID-19, which is also going to go into the history books when you think about African student programs, uh, we have scholars who have gone homeless. We've had scholars who wasn't able to get housing secured, money, finances, uh, food insecurity. We've been able to support them in that way. How? It's not just on us. It's also making sure that we're bringing in campus partners. So the economic crisis response team, Oh, the NAACP has resources in the local community that we can get them to. Um, scholars, black scholars don't have jobs. Okay, let's partner with a, another organization in the community to make sure that our scholars are still working during this time. And so we've been able to do that even in the, what, three, four months that we've been navigating this pandemic or these pandemics, we've still been able to work. Um, and for me, my perspective is always, it's always village business, even after you graduate from campus and so, or graduate from UCR, excuse me. And so making sure that our scholars are connected with the alumni association, making sure that at least this current class, making sure that they have alumni, um, membership so they can, so they can have that. I think back to my time graduating from Florida state, I wasn't even able to afford an alumni membership. And so I think back to like how much access that might have might have been blocked off because of pennies, so to speak. Now that I look back, and so we've been able to provide that. Um, when issues come up on the campus, so I think back to last year, uh, one of our black scholars had an unfortunate, very un- unfortunate incident with the police, and how the community had to come together. That was the ASP and the scholars that helped put that together and helped corral folks to come together. Um, I think back last year, because also for context, I've only been situated in African student programs in in this role for a year. So I came on board um, June of 2019, where I served as an interim, and I just recently became permanent as of like two months ago. So I also want to give that context too. And so... You know, our community came together last year um, to recognize a, a black scholar who lost his life. Um, and the community came together. And that, that, for me, has always been important. I think about these moments, maybe it doesn't get promoted as often, but there, there's a sense of community within ASP that I think is, is great to see. I think about one of our scholars couldn't afford, I think she couldn't afford a meal or something along those lines. And the scholar came, or sorry, not that. A scholar couldn't afford a clicker. That's what it was. Couldn't afford a clicker. Couldn't, didn't get any money. Came out into the community, came out, and hey, your, your community member needs something. Had the money to go and get a clicker. And so when you talk about village business, like that's what it is about. It's about supporting each other and showing up when others aren't showing up for you. Now, 
I can say there's still work to be done, right? Like, yeah. am I going to say that we're perfect? There is nothing perfect on this world, right. on this earth. Yet, I still think we're doing our best to, to move into that direction. And so whether it's through our programs and making sure that our black scholars are feeling represented and feeling seen and getting their voices heard through our, our various programming initiatives, or is it like I'm advocating on, on our black scholars behalf in these meetings where sometimes our black scholar voices aren't present and I have to speak on behalf of our black scholars. And I do that by checking in with our black scholars and making sure that they have, they have the outlet to share with me what's going on, what are the issues, what's happening, and African student programs can respond accordingly. Is it our black scholars are in need of jobs and partnering with our black alumni chapter to reach out to alum who want to come back and want to support and have opportunities to give jobs or even talk through, like, how do you go about securing a job during this particular time? And so all of those things come to mind when, we, when I think about village business. And I would say this upcoming year, is continuing in that spirit, especially now when we're in a remote environment and scholars, both current and new, cannot come to African student programs physically. So now we have to go to them in this virtual sense. And so that's doing outreach. So last year we called every single incoming black scholar transfer first year. Doesn't matter. We contacted them and say, hey, we are African student programs. What do you need from us? And we're going to be doing that shortly in the next couple of weeks. Hey, what do you need? What are, what are, what are you? What experiences are you having? Before you even get to this dang campus, what are you having? What are you seeing? What's still troubling for you? And we're going to do that again this year. Um, thinking about ways that we're going to bring in more community partners and making sure that ASP is known, not just here on the campus, because we're, we're, we'll get the campus support and making sure that our campus partners are aware of opportunities to support our black scholars, but also in the Inland Empire. So I'm not even thinking about Riverside. I'm thinking about the Inland Empire as a region. How are we making sure that we're connected and we're plugged in? So when folks are thinking about, hmm, I need to go and get some outstanding black scholars, that African student programs and UCR's black scholars are at the forefront of their minds. And that is making sure that we're going out into the community, making sure that we're giving scholars um, volunteer opportunities. If there's job opportunities in the community, volunteer opportunities, making sure that our black scholars are aware, whether that's through our newsletter, whether that's through um, our word, word of mouth, our social media. Um, so when, when we talk about village business, I would say that it's, it's shown, and again, depending on who you talk to, it, it reveals itself in a variety of different perspectives and arms of what African student programs is. And that's, man, and I, I think it's just very important for our prospective students and even our current students to have, you know, that historical context of what it meant for black scholars, you know, 50 plus years ago to occupy this space and to build opportunities for future generations coming in. Um, and I think you also mentioned another thing, which is completely obvious, I would hope, to most people is nobody is perfect, right? Um, and there's always work that can be done to continue to push um, and make ourselves better for the uh, the next coming generation. And so kind of building off of that, um, how is ASP addressing certain issues that might arise in the black student um, community at UCR, right? Um, and it's no secret that 
every group of people struggles with um, their own people at times. So when we look at issues like how are men and black men and women on UCR's campus treating each other? How are um, black LGBTQ folks being brought into the conversation? How are we making sure that the African student programs is actually um, providing resources to all of our black students, no matter what intersections that they might walk in with? Mm -hmm. So I think it's twofold. So the first piece I would say is a lot of what happens in the black community, just black community, not UCR, just the black community as a whole. A lot of the issues, the feelings, perspectives, a lot of times they translate into here. Sure. Right. It translate in it translates into the black community here on campus. And so I want to acknowledge that. And there's yeah. so many different issues. There's so many different concerns. And so it's, it's a wealth of things. And I think for, for me and what I share, sorry about that. What I've shared is we don't know what we don't know. And so if an issue arises or there's a concern that the black scholars have, I, share that with not just me, but also the team, right? There's there's right. a department of three people. I'm not the only one. And I think that's where I try to make sure that I, I talk to the scholars, like what are issues that are coming up? What's the pulse of the community so we can get ahead or be proactive? Um, do, we, I, do I think we hit the mark 100% of the time? No. Um, right. But I can say I feel that we try and we extend we, we try to extend the space to to include and incorporate everyone. Truth is, I don't think everybody is like, just like within the black community, not every space is for everyone, right? Like I, I can identify as black and I've seen this where like people are cool with ASP, but that's not where they find their home. And that's okay. And that's totally fine. Um, so to your point, I, I recognize that and like I said, when issues come up, ASP does our, we do our part to make sure that we, we show up. Um, at least that's what I feel. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a programming model that focus on, focuses on the varying forms of blackness. I mean, we talk about um, personal, personal development, professional development. We talk about black identity development in the sure. spectrum of blackness. Um, we talk about community engagement and like engaging in the local community through um, volunteering or partnering with local organizations to come on the campus and do workshops and things along those lines. And so there's there's a swath a swath of issues and concerns, and I feel that we we do it through our programs, we do it through our campaigns. Um, very shortly, we're going to be working on our strategic plan. And our mission, our vision, our values, which is also important because, yeah, like I've shared in other spaces, like programs are cool, but programs don't really get they're they're one and done. And so my thing is doing reoccurring experiences and reoccurring dialogue. So I shared um, most recently there was conversations about um, sexual assault and black men supporting black women. And, um, you know, again, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not in I. Because of my, my role as a director, I try not to be in those spaces with the scholars because that's their space. I don't want them to feel that they have to police themselves because I'm present or anything like that. And so 
that happened on private channels, private conversation, and it was brought to my attention. Sure. And so um, what I shared with the scholars that did reach out is I don't want to sit here and rush anything. I want to make it thoughtful. I want to make sure that it's educational, but also it's ongoing. So in addition to our mission, vision, values, and our strategic plan, that's great. But immediately, um, we actually held a part. We did a program with um, the care office, and we talked about sexual assault and did some education around sexual assault because there was some un- a sense of unclarity about what does that actually mean. And so we had conversations about that. And we talked about how black men can show up for black women in, in terms of sexual assault or supporting each other in these types of issues or, or concerns that arise. Um, and that's part of ongoing dialogue and ongoing conversation series. I also shared that I wanted to, we're going to be doing ongoing community chats. And so what does that mean? So each quarter, um, we start the quarter with the community chat as far as expectations, goals of the community do a mid check-in, mid quarter check-in, and then at the end of the quarter, where did we go wrong? Where did we miss right. the mark? And how can we do better for next quarter? Um, and so it's things like that that I feel I am trying to do as as a lead, as a, as a lead lead person of the department. Um, I also avail myself as well as the department to feedback. And so if there's things that scholars want to hear or feedback that scholars want to see we're open to it and so if if we are missing the mark again i mean i recognize privilege i recognize that you know folks are working and all of that but if there's gaps that folks feel like hey like asp like what's going on we are open to hearing that and i don't think i've i've shied away from any type of feedback good and bad from this past academic year and so um, those are those are just some of the ways. So I would say through programs, I would say through our initiatives and partnerships that we have with on-campus, off-campus partners, um, also opening ourselves up to feedback from the community, um, both on and off-campus community. Hey, like here's here's kind of what we're what we're missing. Um, so we can respond and we could actively be engaged with whatever is happening. Um, within the black community here on the campus. Absolutely. And thank you for that. And um, uh, we're coming up close to the end of our interview. So just some of the closing um, questions that I want to have is for our prospective black students, how can they get in touch with Dr. Jamal Myrick? How can they get in touch with ASP if any prospective students want to get involved with programming or anything like that? How can how can they get involved and where can they find your guys' information at? Yeah, so um, shout out to all the incoming scholars. Um, I'm really excited that y'all are going to be here. I'm excited that y'all are going to be a part of the the black the black scholar family here at UCR. And to our current black scholars, keep doing what you're doing because it's nothing but love, positivity, and and staying 100%. dangerous, um, staying dangerous, and staying great because that's what y'all are. Um, to your point about how they can get in touch with me, my email address is Jamal, so J-A-M as in Michael, A-L dot Myrick. So that's M as in Michael, Y-R-I-C-K at UCR dot E-D-U. So UCR dot E-D-U. And yes, then as far as ASP goes, um, if anybody ever needed to get in touch with ASP, you can visit 
you can visit us at asp.ucr.edu. So again, that is asp.ucr.edu. Um, I would say another really great way to get engaged and get tapped in with us um, pretty quickly, um, two ways. So you can also email us at ASPUCR at UCR.edu. So ASPUCR at UCR.edu. Or you can visit us at ASPUCR on Instagram. And so if you really want to get tapped into us, you really want to get engaged, um, you can reach out to us via our Instagram. Again, that is ASPUCR. If you want to email us, ASPUCR at UCR.edu. If you want to contact me directly, um, Jamal, J-A-M as in Michael, A-L dot Myrick, M as in Michael, Y-R-I-C-K at UCR.edu. And if I don't get in touch with you, you you can be sure that I will definitely reach out to you in a timely manner. um, Or you can reach out to any of our team members as well. Dope, dope. So definitely appreciate that. We'll make sure we put all relevant plugs and contact information in the video description for you guys. And so just to end it off, I always want to end off with a little bit of black optimism, a little bit of black radicalness. So two things for you, because another word on the street is that you are the king of corny dad jokes. So before you share a corny dad joke with our audience, can you please tell us what is your most radical and optimistic vision for prospective black students at UCR? What What is your most radical and optimistic vision that you see for their future and that you hope for and that you're working towards? You know, um, I feel like you asked me this before, maybe. Did you ask me this before? You did. It's a question we've, we've, yeah, talked, we've about talked about before. before. Um, I think my, my answer has evolved in just that short amount of time. Um, so I think for, for the black scholars, both current and incoming, my, my biggest radical dream is liberation at the, at the highest of forms. Um, I was asked a few weeks ago, if I believe that change will, will happen for the black community. And I say, yes. And the, the, the response was why I said, because I have hope, um, When you have hope, it takes you so much further. Um, I would not be, I guarantee you this, I would not be where I'm at today if I, if I lost hope. Hope for a better self, a hope for, hope for better of my community, a hope for a better family, a hope for a better life. I know, like I can guarantee you, I would not be where I'm at today if I, if I didn't have hope. And so my my biggest, most radical dream is true liberation for our scholars and for black people and our scholars. My my hope is that they realize that that power really is within them um, at the at the most highest of high levels. I think a lot of times we as as black folks come into some of these spaces like it's not for me. Um, newsflash, it's not for you. It wasn't built for you to begin with. However, right. having hope and having this desire for true liberation, you can, you can do whatever you want. And so for me, my, my, my hope is for liberation. And I know that our black scholars can, can do it. Why? Cause I've seen it. I've seen what has happened in the last 
four or five years that I've been here um, where change has occurred on this campus and even locally because of the voices of, of the youth, because of the voices of, of Black folks. And when you look at any movement in this country, a lot of it is, is because of Black folks. And I would challenge anybody to, to fight me on that. Um, right. a, lot of, a lot of what Black people have done a lot of a lot of the the energy a lot of times is from the younger black folks, and I think there's so much power in that. I think there's so much love in that, and so my 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 hope is is liberation for our black scholars. That that is the the radical dream that I have is like liberation from the change, both seen, chains, both seen and unseen, mental and right. not mental, emotional chains, um, physical chains. Um, all of it, spiritual chains, because it's so much that our black scholars have to endure on so many different levels, both personally, professionally, that I don't think they, that all recognize the true liberation, what it feels like to be truly free um, for all black folks. And so that, that would be my, my most radical of dreams is, is true liberation for our black scholars and them playing the, the role that I know they will play years down the line. Thank you. Um, And I think that's amazing. So to all of our future black UCR students, do not be afraid to walk through the doors of the ASP office. Don't be afraid to hit up Dr. Jamal Myrick or any of the other wonderful um, representatives and colleagues that he works with in ASP. Take responsibility for the support that you're going to need to be successful. We have support here for you at UCR, um, and we're here to make sure that you guys are successful and you guys are actually playing a role in Dr. Jamal Myrick's vision of liberation for our black scholars. And so just to close, Dr. Myrick, could you please hit us with a corny dad joke just to lighten the mood a little bit? Yeah. um, You know, talking about black folks is is a beautiful thing. And um, before I hit my dad joke, I want to make sure that I put out there to to make sure that both current and incoming black scholars make sure you tap in with Sheree Hughes, our, our wonderful mm-hmm. program coordinators, um, and Rhiannon Little Sorowski, and and our wonderful um, student staff. And so I want to make sure I recognize Ajuma, um, David, Selim, um, represent, represent, because they all are like it's not just me. Um, yeah. African student programs is a family, it's a collective and yeah, things happen and we, we don't always get it right, but I'm, I'm happy that we have a team that is willing to, to do the work and, and yeah. sit in the mess um, for the betterment of our scholars. And so, um, yes, come and come and see me, contact me, reach out and all of that, but also make sure you, you make it a point to reach out to the rest of our, our team too. So again, that's Sheree Hughes um, and Rhiannon Little Sorowski. Um, and our student staff, Ajuma, uh, Selim and, and David, and even, even our admin, um, Stephanie. So we are here for the betterment of your experience as black scholars. And so I want to make sure that I put that out there, um, make sure that you, um, tap in with us. And then, um, to the dad joke, um, the last thing I have is don't trust Adam's. Um, because they make up everything. <laughs> it's a science joke, if you, you didn't know. Science joke. Might have went over a few of y'all heads, so go ahead and ponder over that dad joke. If you didn't get it at first, do your Googles, look up what atoms are. Um, thank you. Oh, 
Thank you, Dr. Myrick. I really appreciate you being here with us. Um, and I really appreciate you taking your time to actually talk to our black scholars and let them know, like, love and support exists on our campus. We're here for you guys. Um, and we hope to see you guys soon in the coming academic year. So thank you guys for joining us on the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. We're amplifying we're amplifying voices, black voices here at UCR, um, and we'd love to have you guys. So holla at us, don't be shy, and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye out. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later. (laughs) 